Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. So, do you want marketing made simple? Shopify removes the guesswork with built-in tools that help you create, execute, and analyze all your online marketing campaigns. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com income, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com income now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com income. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars, creators, and industry leaders on Broadway and beyond. I'm Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to the actor Amir Arisan. He recently wrapped up nine seasons as a series regular on NBC's successful crime thriller The Blacklist, and the very first project he took on after that brought him to Broadway. Arisan now plays the lead character in The Kite Runner, the stage adaptation of the best-selling 2003 novel by Halid Hosseini. It's a big role that spans decades and keeps Arisan on stage for the entirety of the show. Now the actor is in the virtual studio with me to tell us about living and acting in the moment, exiting the blacklist, and how his life was changed by the play My Robot Buddy. Hi, Amir. Thanks for joining me. It is a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So you're making your Broadway debut in The Kite Runner, and it's it's a heavy lift of a show, right? Like you're on stage for the whole thing and you tell the story and it all centers around you. How's it been going for you? Um, I'm absolutely um, cherishing every second of this experience. Um, I, there, there are no breaks. Um, it has required a discipline that I've never even encountered or imagined in my life. Um, which, uh, completely and utterly scared me. I've done challenging roles. I've, um, I've been out front in, in plays before, but never without an exit and never for this long and never with this um, much this well-known of a story and sort of uh, all that goes with it. Um, and so when I got the role, uh, I was like, oh, wow, Broadway debut and, and a character whose name is the same name as mine. Yep. <laughs> and then it was like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. How am I going to, how am I going to do this? And so 
there was a good deal of fear, which can be healthy if you channel it the right way. And I took myself, uh, as soon as I finished shooting, I was working on uh, the blacklist. As soon as I wrapped shooting this past season, I took myself to uh, a dear friend's family's guest house in the mountains in North Carolina and cut off from social media, distractions, socializations, put my phone on do not disturb and studied and wanted to get as much preparation. I wanted, I, I told myself I'm not leaving this cabin until I've memorized all 40 narrative monologues. Um, until I've got as much of the accent down as I can when I'm sort of in, in Kabul in the act one when I'm a kid. And as much of the Dari, which is spoken in the first two scenes, which is the sort of the Afghan dialect of Farsi. Um, and then as much of the sort of scene work as I could. And met with the vocal coach mm. and Zoomed with the director. And just get as many questions and as many variables um, uh, prepped. Mm as I can so that when I enter rehearsal, it's flow, getting to know your fellow actors, responding, listening, learning the staging, getting in as much, absorbing as this, because it's a lot of information, it's, there's no breaks. So as a result of that, and also sort of stretching and getting my mind right, getting the mind right. And as a result, it has centered me um, more than I could have expressed. And everybody always asks, oh my God, are you, exhausted after that show how do you do two a day how do you do eight a week how are you going to do that again and um two things i always say day by day act by act scene by scene moment to moment there is no time for me to overthink or worry where did that laugh go tonight or uh, that that scene didn't feel as vulnerable or it doesn't doesn't matter you tell the story and do you ride on to the next moment there is no which has been a great lesson and a reminder in life you don't, I don't have time to go off stage and be like, oh, why didn't that go as well? Or, or oh boy, I'm nervous. So, so-and-so's in the audience. I've got to enter with, with energy. You don't, none of that, it all goes away. <laughs> and you just have to listen, respond. And then when I'm doing the monologues, tell the story. And that, in that, and just trust life preparation, life instincts, my age, my, just, you have to fall forward and trust, as fearful as that may be. And that has been, um, so rewarding so that when people say you're tired, I said, well, yes, I'm undisciplined. I don't go out. Um, I really, I, may, I might have dinner on the, after the last show of the week. Mm. I might, depending on how I'm feeling. That's as much as I'll give myself. I, of course, say hello to people after the show. But so the physical, the physical and vocal toll is, um, is there and I have to recover and rest and I have to stretch and do consistently things that I may not have done consistently. You're drinking hot water now, as, uh, as you mentioned, yeah, like yeah. for the throat. Yeah, yeah. Then, um, but the mental toll, because he goes through mm. the journey and he, he really, you know, the character is so shame ridden and guilt ridden and to get to that redemption, which doesn't happen to the last five minutes of the play, last three minutes of a two and a half hour play, um, weirdly is sometimes energizing. Mm. So I'm physically exhausted, but sort of spiritually re-energized and that is not something i expected and i can't believe it and um uh, the theater gods are um and so far are have been loving to me but i always say i have another one tonight you, you can't get too high and you can't get too low can't don't punish yourself if it doesn't feel right and don't celebrate if it feels great you just say okay wow we did that one and i have another one tomorrow it's really um really special in that way very very special yeah. 
you've been on stage many times before. We last saw you in New York at, in Waterwell's Hamlet in 2017, and we saw you mm -hmm. in the public at in Why Torture is Wrong and the People Who Love Them and shows like that. Mm -hmm. um, but what what's gratifying to you about being back on stage after, you know, whatever it's been, five years or so? Um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want to do much stage anymore. I, I told my manager, I, I, I come from theater. I did it. But once I sort of found the love of TV, mm. um, I was enjoying it. I enjoyed it that having weekends, I enjoyed, um, financially it's much, much better than the theater. Um, but you don't become an actor for the, you certainly don't become an actor for the money. <laughs> And, um, uh, the, and then, you know, something in, in, in television that's interesting too, is you, like I kind of touched upon it before is you don't have, you don't have time to overthink things. You've got to learn it fast because you're shooting it in a couple days, maybe tomorrow, maybe in a week. And then you shoot it, you do a couple of takes and then you have to prepare for the next episode. You have to prepare for the, the next scene. You have to let it go and sort of trust your preparation and trust the editors. And, um, it, it, again, it forced me. I think I think there's a theme that I was quite anxious when I was younger and quite hard on myself. So maybe TV, and maybe I'm just realizing this now. Maybe sort of the nine years I had on the blacklist that forced me to not overthink has helped me get to this point. I'm not I'm not entirely sure, but I, I know that Hamlet exhausted me, and the previous show I did at the uh, was on a summer hiatus between season one and two was The Muscles in Our Toes by Stephen Belber with Labyrinth, and um, that show was also on stage the whole time, but that show was only 85 minutes and all of us were on stage together the whole time. So it was, it was, it was my character was more quiet. And I remember just depleting myself completely, completely depleting myself and um, not sure if the, the, the rewards outweighed the, the sort of the toll um, for some reason. This is not when I was younger and not when I was started something about, you know, the last, few plays I've done and I, and I told my manager I don't I don't really want to do I don't really want to do theater unless it's the perfect role with the perfect director and the and the perfect show there is no such thing as perfect but something that I just I have to do otherwise I don't it it, it, ha, it has to be worth it to kind of put myself through that and uh, she said to me it was before the blood this se the season 10 had been renewed so I was like we're looking for a job we didn't know if Black was going to come on. She goes, well, uh, Kai Runner's coming to Broadway. Um, I think you'd be right for a mirror. Mm. I was like, oh, send me the script. <laughs> send me the script. I was like, oh, God, this role is hard. Oh, my God. This, this, I don't even like the character. I was like, how am I going to get behind this? He makes such a series of decisions that are so anthema to my soul and my vibe. Coward and shame and guilt, which are all very challenging to play because those are inherently inactive and you want to make active choices as an actor is so how do you actively play indecision how do you actively play um uh, internal shame you know there are moments where he projects it and like but, but you know and he projects it outward which is just so painful it's like oh god you know the person who hates themselves then hates others that that sort of sage because he hates something about themselves will, will then project it onto others um and I, I wasn't, but I was like, oh, I'm looking for a job. And, you know, it is Broadway. I used to dream of doing Broadway. And it's like, you know, Broadway are mostly musicals. I'm not a musical guy. I'm not such a singer. I'm not a singer. Um, all right. And all right, this role is, is okay. All right. I'll audition. 
and I still wasn't completely behind the role. And I thought my first audition, I tanked it. I completely thought it, it was over Zoom. Mm. I've never auditioned for theater over Zoom. And I'm trying to stand up and I'm like leaning into the, the Zoom camera and, and then I, I can't unpin myself. And then like, I'm seeing other people and like, it was just like weird. And I, and um, I apologized to my manager. I apologized to my friend, my neighbor who ran lines with me. I was like, I, I it went, I'm, I'm sorry. Cause the, and I, when I, I teach sometimes I, I teach younger actors and stuff or do like sort of workshops and master classes. I always say, um, uh, preparation is, is the only thing you can control. And, um, that, that's as much as you control. And if you do your best, you know, and I felt like maybe I didn't prepare enough because I hadn't been completely behind the rule. And I was being hard on myself because I was very, very busy, challenging arc at the time on blacklist. So I was up at 5am shooting all day, an arc where my character has a, also has a mental breakdown. And so I was particularly hard on myself and, and I apologized. And what I call, what I call my friend, Ariel calls it, we got, um, uh, audition hangover. Where you feel just like, oh, for a day or two, you're just like, oh, that went terrible. And, you know, and um, I said, well, maybe I didn't really want the role. And, okay. And I let it go. And then I threw the sides into the recycling. A week later, I get a call back. I laughed for a minute when she said, you're called back. I was like, she goes, I knew you would. She goes, most of my clients that think they did terribly did did well. Or what you think is terrible is is, is not terrible, but that's not for me to decide. I laughed and I was so happy to get the call back, not because I had attached myself to getting the part. I really was detached from it. I was a little worried about what happens if I get it. How am I going to do it? The, 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 the thing that I was happy about was like, I'm getting another chance to try to do my best for me. And I went and pulled the sides out of the recycling. I hadn't taken them out that week. Recycling, I recycle every two weeks. And they were there which is a good thing. Mike Nichols once said like, you know, I think Mike Nichols used to rehearse plays and then they would go away for six mm -hmm. months and then come back. There's yeah. something that happens when you don't think about it or worry about it. It enters your subconscious a little mm -hmm. bit. I had completely released and let it go, which is a probably again, another realization, the ultimate sort of lesson. I completely let it go. Um, and I said, well, wh why did I not feel my best objectively without sort of self hate? <laughs> I said, well, this moment didn't work. I said, well, you know, the zoom thing was weird. We'll forget zoom. I'm just going to do it a table read. I'm not auditioning. I'm just going to table read this. What beats did not feel connected? Why not? Let me go back to the book and look up there. Let me, now I have a little more time to do a little prep and I'm kinder to myself and I've already detached. And it, and again, this callback was more for me to do my best just to feel like I could not have that hangover. And after it was in that audition, in the audition, not before it, that I discovered the love inside of him. Mm. And it was in the audition that I fell in love with the part. I still wasn't in love with the part. I, I was like, I know my job is to humanize these decisions, to, to make him understandable, you know, all these sort of, sort of horrible anti-hero decisions he makes. Um, I understood all that. But then I found the love inside and it cracked wide open and I was making discoveries that I had never anticipated. Something about, I think, being relaxed, which is an important lesson for actors. You, you can be, the more prepared you are, the more relaxed you can be. And, um, when I finished, it felt great. And the conversation, you know, um, are the, most of the creative teams from England and it's very interesting. They, in, in theater, in American theater auditions, you come in, there's not much talk, maybe a, a, a small little thing. And then you do the audition and they might give you notes and they say, thank you. Or maybe they'll talk to you after 
with Giles, and I hear this is common with English directors. They talk, we talk a lot before we even read. Oh, how are you? This and that. We're talking about this. We're thinking, you know, and it just converse, just a conversation, a little bit about the show, a little bit about what they're doing, what they're looking for, and um, which is sort of lovely and different. And when I got off, when I finished the audition, ah, I said, oh, I feel better. I feel like I just took a creative, a giant creative release, for lack of a better word. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm okay, Amir. You did your best. Thank you theater gods for another opportunity to just kind of and, and also i had an audition for theater hamlet and muscles on our toes were both straight offers i had done table reads of them so then i got offers after the table read so this was the first theater audition i've done in a very long time and i just wanted to sort of re-experience that and re-challenge myself in a different way and an hour after the audition i said oh wait a second i think i might have given myself a chance to get this well, I might get this. Okay. Well, that would be cool. Two days later, I got a text from my manager. Um, you're, you're getting the kite runner. And I was like, whoa. And were you on board at that yeah. point? Definitely? As a, 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 or in terms of committing to it? Yeah, I knew I was going to. Yeah. I, knew I, I knew I had to do it. I was scared, but I, I, I knew I had to do it. Of course, you know, that you have to go back and forth, right. manager. There's things, there's, there's things to talk about. There's a few little... The nooks and crannies of things. What was the, but, um, uh, do you remember the specific moment in the audition that uh, unlocked the love in the character? Yeah, it's really, oh, you're going to make me emotional. I do remember the moment. Um, have, uh, not to put you on the spot, but have you seen, have. Have you seen the show? I have, yes. You yes. saw? Of course I did. Oh. <laughs> I, saw, I saw it, I don't know, two days before it opened. I really enjoyed it. Oh, wonderful. Um, well, the audition was, there were two scenes. There was one scene as a kid when he's describing his story to Hassan the, about the, the story he wrote about the, mag, the magic pearls, the magic cup, uh, they wanted to see me as a kid and that made sense. And then the other scene was sort of a, one of the sort of, I would call them uh, for lack of a better word, operatic scenes, if you will, it's the giant revelation where he finds out from Rahim Khan that Rahim Khan knows everything that he's done as a kid that he's been hiding, that he didn't think anyone knew. And two, that uh, not any spoil. If you're if you haven't read the Kite Runner or you're planning on coming seeing it, cover your ears. This is a spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Uh, but I, I do sense that about seventy percent of our audience has read the book when they come see the show. Seventy five. Seventy five percent. But anyway, for those who don't cover your ears, when he also discovers that his father is Hassan's father, right? And um, so it was. Uh, it was in that scene. And around the moment he discovers it, mm. that as much of the, um, the, the frustration, how dare you, I've been dealing with this all this time, but you guys have been complicit in another arguably bigger lie or bigger, bigger secret is a better word, not a lie, a bigger secret. Um, um, and that something cracked wide open and also, in, also inside of the moment when he finds out that Hassan's died, and I just burst with um, how much I loved him. It burst out in you know, sort of a form of tears, and it, it, just how much I loved him. And I've been burying that love for the whole play because he can't deal with it. He can't. How much he loved, him, he can't face with what he did to someone he just absolutely loved, his closest and dearest friend, who turns out to also be his brother, um, because of his privilege and his naivety and his shame and his sort of weakness as a kid. Um, and also, um, 
so it was then that it was actually how much I love Hassan, not how much I hate myself. Um, the hate myself was inherent, had been built up before. And it was like, he has so much love. And then when I thought about it after, you know, he didn't have a mom. His dad was very tough. His dad doesn't show love the way he needed it to be shown. So he had a lot of displaced love. And he didn't want to, so, you know, and, you know, that's how I try to lead life. You know, you lead with love. And I know I'm out front in this company. And I always said, when I started, I said, Amir, you, you got to be kind to yourself. Because you got to be kind to yourself. But like, um, Something gets messed up. If somebody drops a line, it's okay. Like, don't worry about it. And then, oh my God, Amir, I'm sorry. I said, it doesn't matter. There are no mistakes. It's theater. It was awesome. It was new. Tomorrow we got another one. It's awesome. And um, sort of, you know, and and, I'm, and this, this show has reminded me more than anything in my life. I can't tell you how much I cherish it. Just as a, whatever, we close tomorrow. I hope we don't. I hope we run. It, it doesn't matter. The show has given me something and taught me something that um, I needed. I'll have more with Amir right after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And now, here's more with the actor Amir Arasan. The Kite Runner is one of, as you mentioned, a, a lot of people coming to see the show will have at least, well, if not read the book, they've at least heard the title. Maybe they've seen, they, they made a movie in 2007 of it. Like, it is a story that is around um, and that mm -hmm. most people are familiar with. Were you familiar with it? And what did it mean to you personally before you got involved in this? I had not read the book, actually. Till after I got the part, I read my sections for the callback. Right. I didn't have time to read it before the first audition, and I didn't have, and I didn't know I was getting called back the next day for the callback. Didn't feel when I thought I didn't get it. I didn't feel like reading the book at that moment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, the story is so well known. There are sort of I would call the sort of the, uh, sort of a main event in Act yeah. One that is sort of well well known and, and what that so there's sort of the main plot. There's a lot of things in Act Two that people don't remember even that really oh my god i forgot that or i forgot that happened it's very rich and why do you feel like the story uh needs to be told right now what 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 is particularly resonant for it uh about it right now well there's a very obvious um uh, current invasion of another country that's happening right now um the soviet union has invaded ukraine um in the play, the Soviet Union, just before the, just in the, after Act One, before Act Two, uh, the Soviet Union has invaded Afghanistan. I don't that this play was decided to be put on before that happened. There was a, something in the zeitgeist. The producers maybe had their finger on. Of course, also this past year, as we know, that we left Afghanistan, um, and sort of the rise of the Taliban came back. Um, there's um, signs of the rise of the Taliban. Uh, the mullahs were the teachers in um in the beginning of the play even um uh, uh 
Mamir's father, Baba, says to him, God, help us if the country falls into the, their hands, you know. And so, and Amir, my character, leaves Afghanistan with his tail between his legs. He doesn't want to look back. He doesn't want to even think about it. He wants to become an American and forget his past. Um, we were there for 20 years and, and we left and we did not leave under the, the ways we had hoped. I don't mean to get political, and I know a lot of people have a lot of different point of views, but those are two facts, those two very basic facts. And um, the thing I love about theater, uh, good theater, is it doesn't preach, it tells it through a human story. So here, Khaled Hosseini, the backdrop of the play, is Soviet Union invaded, he's an immigrant in America, he's trying to find his way, um, the president was executed, um, there is the sort of the power class system, the educated, the uneducated, servants and masters, which is what it's referred to in the play. So bias, racism, class, but he doesn't comment on any of that. He just tells the story about these two best friends, the power difference, um, this guy without a mom and his father, him coming to America and just a boy meets girl, wants to get married, um, falls in love. Um, uh, she has an overbearing father, how he has to deal with that. It's just, and each character has their own secret and their own flaw that gets unfurrowed throughout the play or something that they're not sharing or they're a lie. Even Hassan tells a lie to protect Amir. Says he did steal the watch and the cash. It's just like the most heartbreaking thing you can ever imagine. Um, so the best way, in my opinion, to get people to relate or open their eyes or minds is just tell a human story. Many people know someone in their family or someone dear to them that had to immigrate to this country. Somebody knows, you know, the, the one of the things I did not originally love about the role is just all the weakness, for lack of a better word. But then I found out that the bravery exists in the monologues that he's confessing, which you can interpret that differently when you read the novel. But in a play, it's like, why am I telling this? What is my relationship to the audience and narrating? You know, you read a novel, it's individual. It's like he starts with in the win in, I remember the moment I became who I am today. And then that moment resurfaces two thirds of the way later. And then he's like, now I need your help. I told you the story as far as I can go. Now I'm sort of entering the present. And um, he's airing his dirty laundry, if you will, and confessing and letting the truth out, um, which ultimately helps free him. And uh, I just think you just tell it, you tell a human story, people will draw their own conclusions. But I think it is important that the backdrop is I can hear the audience when I get to at the very end of the play, the second to last monologue, I say, we arrived home on a warm day in August 2001. Uh, and while the world, while Sarab was silent, the world wasn't. Then one Tuesday morning, the Twin Towers fell and the world changed. America bombed Afghanistan and the Taliban scurried away like rats. I'd go into Starbucks and people would be talking about Mazari Sharif, and Kabul and the cities of my childhood. And during all of this, Sarab didn't say a word. It's about Sarab. But that's a, And I can feel the audience three minutes before the end of the play go, I can feel them go, oh, which is when I feel like many Americans sort of woke up to Afghanistan. What is Afghanistan? Where is Afghanistan? Who lives in Afghanistan? What is the Taliban? What is Osama bin Laden? What is our policy, foreign policy? Um, and so you can feel like we took this on a, on a 26 year journey and then they join us and they join him here just for the end when he finally steps up. It's, you, you can you can feel it. So they're on just a human story, and then they, they say, hey, guess what? That was 2001, and now we're in 2022. How much has changed? What's happening? Unfortunately, things are you know, quite troubling. Yeah. Do you know how to fly a kite? 
<laughs> it sounds it sounds really hard the the competition the kite fighting competition i don't i it seems like a skill that i will never have i hadn't flown kites we had a flight kite flight uh a, a kite flying rehearsal we all met in central park <laughs> yep. it was a very bonding thing we all met in central park and they got a few kites oh. and i ran one and i had hassan hassan ran nice. one and we ran them together and it was so such a fun day yeah. for the company but those aren't the same kites that are being flown in Afghanistan yeah. back, you know. Uh, and Farhan, who plays Baba, you know, who grew up in Pakistan, there were a lot of kite fighting tournaments, and he and he taught, and he, we, there was like an hour where he just kind oh, of cool. talked to us yeah. about that. And you know, the main difference is is that the string is quite sharp mm. because the string is put through uh, glass and glue, so you're actually it's oh. like a it's like sword fighting. Is that kites. why it's sharp? I did <laughs> not. I did not oh, know did that. You miss that. I did. I missed. Okay, I missed gonna, that part. That yeah. Line. Yeah. I'm going to hit that Please line. Please do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I knew clearly something was happening with that string, but. Our glass, uh, we, me and the son, our, our glass-coated cutting line, our bullet in the chamber ready. Yeah. I go out into the field and feed 500 feet of string through a mixture of ground glass. And yeah. Glue. And that's why it slices fingers yeah, and so yeah. forth. Wow. So it's, it's, a, it's a, yeah. 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 Uh, so you are not, you, you yourself are not a champion kite fighter, but. No. And I've also not, um, uh, I've never held a glass coated. Oh, you know what's funny in Central Park? Even without the glass, I got a paper cut yeah. slice on, you know, the sort of where your finger, yeah. the crease in your fingers are, yeah. like at the top of my forefinger. I remember being like, ow, ooh, ow. And I got a paper cut. And it was like, oh, can you imagine what? And, and then Fran told us that, you know, many people are wearing bandages all over their fingers and hands as a badge of honor yeah. of how long they were in the tournament, yeah. how, how good they were, and how much they sacrificed. Yeah. It's really, really unique. Yeah. Um, rewinding just a little bit to talk about how you first got started in performing. I have read that you delivered two lines in your second grade play and your mother decided you had talent and signed you up for drama club. So my question is, what were the two lines? Oh God, I was a pirate. <laughs> Excellent. I don't remember. I don't remember what they were. I do remember the line where I knew I was going to be an actor, which was in the sixth grade in a play called My Robot that, Buddy. I knew that I was, was like, my oh, next question is when you decided to be an actor. Great. Excellent. Oh, well done. Oh, I, so I joined drama club when I was eight. No, second grade, seven, yeah. yeah, eight. The third grade I joined, I was second grade. But my mom came up to me after those two lines and just looked at me and goes, you have talent. And I was a great at sports, just like Amir in the play, not great at soccer like his dad wants to be. He wrote poetry. Um, and so that's a big way I related into the play, actually, a, a big way. Um, him wanting to be an artist and, you know, his dad not sure if it's the best my dad is much more supportive and, and loving than than Baba, but my dad was not sure if it was a, you know a safe profession. He's super into it now, and I have to say, actually, I felt a lot lighter. It's just so funny to say I could also get emotional. When I started the process, I just wanted I just wanted my dad to be proud of me. My mom is just like you know, I could I could like sneeze and she's proud of me. <laughs> but you know, my my dad is the best. Like, please know that there's nothing nothing disparaging about this, but I didn't realize there was a I wanted to get to opening, physically, vocally, mentally, all of that, and have my dad come to opening night and the show to just work on opening night for my dad to see that. And that was the best, the best. And I felt lighter the next day. I felt a lot lighter since, significantly lighter. It's like, whatever happens, like, my dad got to see me on Broadway, you know, and, um, 
it was it was all going to be okay that i decided when i was 12 i was going to be an actor it's okay a bunch what was the line wait what was the later? line in and when you were 12? okay i don't remember the, i don't remember the two pirate lines because that was right. like i don't even but um in the in my robot buddy i played a that's an excellent title I played a doctor it's a great it's a great <laughs> little play it was about a kid who wanted uh who hires this machine this fact this doctor to build a robot friend <laughs> to build the best friend oh my god i didn't even realize the parallel with the guy runner he wants a best friend you know and so dr atkins was my character's name um built a robot that will do everything with him he can he can run jump climb and he's like he has a new best friend a robot best friend but the kid goes um but can you make him but i just want him to be happy oh my god this is getting quite profound i haven't thought about this in a while <laughs> i just wanted to be happy and the, the doctor never made dispositions he just made robots to do whatever you wanted to do with the kid play catching him and he goes uh, happy we, we don't we don't do this but and the kid goes you mean you can't do it and i remember saying if i go for some reason and something inside him goes if i go up with my inflection on this line it's going to get a laugh i don't know where that came from he goes can't i said I think the character had some kind of faux intellectual accent, almost like a like a like a like a Fraser Crane or a Niles Crane. It wasn't. I don't know where that came from. I go, God, God, I there's nothing I can't do. You know, whatever. And I remember doing Kant, and I get a little laugh, and it was lower school audiences, grades like kindergarten through sixth grade, and they start chuckling, and then I do it again, and then they chuckle some more, and then I got this big roaring laugh. And I, at that moment, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah, this, this is what I do. Sure. It was a drug. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is a high. Yeah. And it and it wasn't and it came uh, instinctively, and um, so yeah, that's what I was like. Oh, I want to be an actor. And then when I graduated college, I was like, Oh, you may you got to keep this promise to yourself. Oh, let me get backstage newspaper and start sending in headshots and taking workshops and doing off off Broadway plays and getting one line on a soap opera and just just beginning mm -hmm. and just seeing what would happen. Mm -hmm. And so you have you were on the blacklist for nine seasons and uh it, yeah. it's been picked up for a 10th season but you will not be a part of that season is that right what what led to that decision okay so uh <laughs> be careful what i say here. <laughs> um no um my character was not killed off um so there is a potential for me to be back in season 10 but i'm not a series regular i'm not certainly not there for the bulk Great. of the season i'm not a, a functioning sort of cog in the machine of the of the storytelling or of the case solving um so that's a that's a maybe i'll just tease Great. that it, 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 it really is a maybe so it depends on storyline and schedules and lots of things um so they left that as a possibility for me and for them which makes me so happy because who knows what what happens in life also i was i didn't want to unceremoniously die because i'm I, I took a broadway show right. <laughs> um but, well, the decision, again, when I got the job, we had not been offered a season 10 yet. It's really crazy how, how tight it came that the, the show got renewed and then, then they called us. And just like a week or two before that, I had gotten the Kite Runner. And so when I got the Kite Runner, I said, oh, wow, now I have a – I knew that I was – was, 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 there was no decision. I, I had been doing – that for so long and it, this was an immense challenge and i was like i you know i'm an actor i have to challenge myself and scare myself and the broadway dream came back it boomeranged back i had let it go and 
who knew? I think High Runner is the only play right now. I think there's maybe another play. The minutes just closed, but it's it's mostly musicals. I know plays are coming, yeah. but it's, there's one or two plays right now. Yeah. The, the fact that I got an opportunity to play the lead and it's such a beloved story. So it was it was really not it was like a no brainer. It was just hard to say goodbye to the best job I ever had, the, the blacklist. So, but you know, what a I mean, my dream when when Broadway wasn't having my dream was to get on a quality series. Never expected it to go nine years, much less 10, um, much less more than five. Most shows don't go, hit shows don't go more than three or four seasons now. Um, so I feel like that dream manifested and then some and then some. And then all of a sudden this other dream came came boomeranging back and says, well, a chance to have two dreams come true? Come on now. I, I can't, I'm the luckiest kid in the world. And what do you hope to do going forward? I'll, I'll tell you very clearly, tonight's show. <laughs> Tonight's show, and I, 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 I'm dead serious. I, 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 that is the only way to approach this material for me and has been something that I've been sort of teaching myself uh, in life. So uh, I, I am curious, you know, what my next job would be, but my next job is tonight's show. You know, I got to, you know. Yeah. It really, really, really that simply. And, you know, you, you know, if you do your best, um, things often can, can work out in, in, in better ways than you hope even. But if not, I get to do this. Who knows? Or really, who knows? I just want to get to tomorrow. We have a long run. It's a, it's a, it's not a lot. Well, it's October 30th. That sort of depends on how you look at it, but it's, it's, it's a long run to do this role. Yeah. Um, you know, eight shows a week. Um, I don't know. We have a, I don't know how many we've done. We've done like 28. Or 29, 30 of them, we have like another 100 to go. Yeah. So one by one. Well, we look forward to seeing what comes next after that. And in the meantime, break a leg tonight. Thank you so, so much. What a delight to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Amir. Thank you. That was Amir Arisan, now starring on Broadway in The Kite Runner. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us grow our audience of folks who love theater as much as you and I do. Or tell a friend about StageCraft, or give us a shout-out on social media. Find past episodes and subscribe at all the pod purveyors, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, which is a great place to find more theater for your ears. Until next episode, find me on Twitter at G Cox Variety. Thanks for listening, and see you at the theater. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R E R I S E T H E A T R E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 